All right, so um, we're studying um, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, that says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And we're approaching this study with three questions. The first question is, is he worthy of our trust? That's what we kind of looked at. Is he worthy of our trust? Is God trustworthy? And yes, of course he is. And of course, uh, I use the example of uh, Isaac, the son of Abraham. And specifically about Isaac, who is a man of faith, and he knew his place in the covenant, and the promises that God had given to his father Abraham. And if you remember, I gave you three principles of faith uh, in regards to uh, studying Isaac's life. And that first principle was a faith that produces effectual and powerful praying is a faith that centers itself on a powerful person and his promises and not upon oneself. So if we focus on that powerful person, then we will have powerful prayers. We will have, like his father Abraham, Isaac's faith rested on God's promises to his father. And now those very same promises, that very same covenant has been passed on to Isaac. So really all that Isaac had to trust on was God's word to his father and God's word to himself. And isn't that really what we have? We have God's word given to us that we trust in. The second thing is faith believes the impossible is possible because faith lets God undertake for it, believing nothing is impossible with God. Uh, Isaac, again, he knew the history of his father. He knew that his uh, God had promised his father Abraham a seed, that he, uh, a, a, a son would be born from his loins. Isaac full well knew the story of his mother and his father being well advanced in years, way beyond childbearing um, time. And yet Sarah, his mother, conceived and uh, brought forth Isaac. So Isaac knew that he was that fulfillment of that promise, uh, that impossible, seemingly impossible promise. And so he, he, he understood that aspect of the faith. And then the third thing about faith is faith is an awareness of the power of God experienced by one's communion or fellowship with God as one learns that they can trust in God according to the word of God. That's a mouthful. But that's what Isaac learned. That's what we need to learn. Isaac witnessed God being true to his word in both providing him with a wife named Rebekah and then later on, 20 years after they first got married, um, in fulfillment of the promise, uh, Rebekah gave birth to twins. And so Isaac was made aware of God's faithfulness in fulfilling what he had promised having entreated of the Lord, and the Lord was entreated by Isaac, and so Isaac uh, had um, these two twins conceived in Rebekah's womb. So this brings us to the second question. Uh, Does God know best? Does God know best? Um, Sometimes when you're in in a situation where you have to lean on God, um, you kind of wonder: Is does God know what He's doing? <laughs> does God does God really know best? Is God really, you know, is He really know what's best? Turn to the Book of Jonah. 
if you can find it. That's one of those obscure minor prophet books. But the book of Jonah, and I'm not going to dwell here, but um, I want to read this passage to you so I can get started. Jonah chapter 1. I'd give you the page number, but my Bible's different from your Bible. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. Huh? Mine's wrong? Oh, I see what you're saying. This is that time when it's same but only different applies. Jonah 1.1 Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up. You know, whenever there's a but... Okay. Anyway, I was, I'm going to say I was going to say something, but I'm not because it would be kind of crass. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish or Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, perhaps at least to myself. Jonah is one of those folks who thought he knew better than God. Alright, well, at least he didn't agree with what God had told him to do, so I would say he thought that he knew better than God. He didn't agree with God, he didn't like what God told him to do, and so Jonah took off, he ran. The Lord wanted Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to preach repentance, in the good news of mercy, Jonah was to give them the bad news of judgment. If they did not repent, and he wanted to give them the good news that God would spare them if they would repent. But Jonah, he didn't think this was a good idea. He didn't like this. He didn't like this. Uh, Nineveh was a hated enemy of Israel. It had caused a lot of trouble for those ten northern tribes of Israel. Jonah wanted Nineveh destroyed rather than spared. So he's thinking, you know, God, you got it all wrong here. You got it all wrong here. Now I refer to Jonah because at times we as God's people, we may not always understand the why or the what is happening. And so I don't know, maybe this is just me, but then we begin to question the Lord's wisdom. We begin to question God, you know, is this really the best way to go? Especially when a, when a tragedy hits us personally. Now, on the other hand, when bad things happen to other people, or something goes on in somebody else's life, um, we're kind of like Job's friends. I mean, we're really good at pointing out things in, their per- in that person's life, and we'll say, well, it's really no wonder why they're going through what they're going. You know, we're kind of like Job's friends. We like to pile on all the all the reasons why that particular person is going through this stuff. But when it hits us personally, you know, we kind of wonder, you know, God, what are you doing? What what is going on, Lord? What what are you doing? I you know, I don't I don't agree with all of this. Now I've quoted this man before, and I've said this before. But when I read this, it just—it just—it was one of those statements that was just kind of caused a paradigm shift in my thinking. 
But A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. Especially when we're going through hard times. Especially when we're going through hard times. Um, Especially in light of, does God know best? Does God really know best? Um, You know, a low view of God will often lead us into a dark way of thinking. It really will. A low view of God will lead us into a dark way of thinking. We'll question, is he really worthy of my trust? We'll question, does he, is this really best for me, God, that whatever it is I'm going through? Or the third question is, does he even really care? I mean, does he, does he really love me if he's allowing this to happen? You know, so those, so a low esteem of God will really get your mind going down the wrong uh, train of thought. So it's very, very important what it is you think of God when you when when you when you do think of God. Now, some of these statements might come from a mind that might be ignorant of God's true character. You know, there are young believers that maybe they haven't learned much. From God's word. They still have a lot to learn about their father. I understand that. Uh, but there are some folks who are just simply unwilling to believe what the word of God tells them about God. And so therefore they become, what's the word, obstinate or stubborn. They become obstinate or stubborn. That's why when, when we first started this study... And I talked about that first signpost, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy is understanding. That is so vital. That is so vital in your relationship and your walk with the Lord. Because that is your esteem. That is your reverence. That's how you think of the Lord or think about the Lord when you think about the Lord. So in this issue of does God know best, does he? I mean, yeah, we give lip service. Yeah, he does. We know he does. But does he? When applied to our situation, does he? You see, entertaining a low esteem of God followed with a low estimate of of the Lord's wisdom and his understanding in the affairs of life, that'll often lead to a person to a life of of doubt or despair or hopelessness and what happens then is you become a Jonah and you start running away from God you start running away from God and that is not the place to be it's not the place to be so it's very important what comes into your mind when you think of God so Psalms 147.5 this is the psalmist's estimation listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 147.5 he says great is our Lord and of great power alright I have no problem with that I have absolutely no problem with that but in light of the second question does God know best he goes on and says his understanding is infinite Oops. His understanding is infinite. 
You see, this verse is telling me something about the Lord that maybe I'm questioning because of my trouble or my situation or my circumstances. This informs me that the Lord's understanding is infinite. That means it's off the charts. You cannot measure God's understanding. You can't measure God's understanding. God is an absolute genius in the truest sense. He's the smartest being there is. Yeah, we give lip service, we nod our heads. But when we're in certain circumstances, don't we kind of question? Really? Lord? God is infinite in his understanding. That means he understands how we tick. He understands our fears, our worries. He understands our strengths, our weaknesses. He understands every little piece about us. Everything. Nothing is hidden from God's understanding. Even when we try to hide it. And don't we try to hide it sometimes? But he understands everything about us. He understands everything about us. And he understands the circumstances that we're going through. And he understands the situations. And he he understands all of that. He understands all of that. That should bring comfort. That should bring comfort. That God understands everything. That's what it means in Proverbs 3, 5, and lean not unto thine own understanding. God understands better than you understand. God understands better than you understand. In those times, we are told to lean on him and not on our own finite, limited understanding. My understanding is limited. Is yours? Raise your hand if you've got infinite understanding. I'd like to meet with you. I mean, this is true, though. I know I've, I've met some very wise men and women. Have you? I mean, very wise men and women. In fact, I'm you know I'm agog. I'm amazed with some of the wisdom that these individuals possess. But even the wisest among us are finite in their understanding. They don't know the beginning from the end. They don't know the beginning from the end. And there are times, quite frankly, we have to acknowledge, you know what, I don't know best. But you do. I may not understand what's going on, but your understanding is infinite. You do. You do understand. You do understand. And that, that's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But that's hard. It's very, very hard. Faith is reason at rest with God. Faith is reason at rest with God. All of that confusion, all of that, I don't understand, all of that, I don't get it, 
faith rests in the fact that God's understanding is infinite. So faith is reason at rest with God. The Lord is infinitely wise in understanding. What what does Hebrews 4.15 say? We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Well, God just doesn't understand. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He fully understands. He fully understands. And here's, here's the thing. Because he understands, and this is what we struggle with, he will always select the best possible means for the accomplishment of the best possible end in the worst possible situations and circumstances. You want me to say that again? He will always select the best possible means for the accomplishment of the best possible end in the worst possible situations and circumstances. That's where we struggle. That's where we struggle. That's where we start, like Jacob, begin to wrestle with God. That's the rub. While we are in the midst of our misery and our pain and our trials, we just don't understand. We, we, we just don't understand what's going on. Well, God, what in the world are you doing? We have to come to the conclusion, like that old television program, Father Knows Best. Father Knows Best. Father Knows Best. What we often lose sight of in the midst of our trouble and confusion is um, since he knows best, then he, uh, he is working toward two ends, two goals, two purposes. Two ends, two goals, two purposes. I, I don't know what a good... A good vernacular, I don't know what a good term to be using, but he's got two goals or two ends, two primary goals that he's working toward. And um, if you keep this in mind and you trust in that, these two goals, it will it will help, it will comfort, it will strengthen you when you're going through those confusing times. Now the work of God's... Stick with me. I'm going to get there. But let me lay some groundwork. The work of God's infinite understanding, these two goals that he's working toward and will accomplish, is seen in how he has redeemed us from our sin. Okay? 1 Peter 1, 18-21 For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So God had a plan, the best plan, but was manifest in these last times for you, for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Other words, the gospel. The cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you. 
redeem you from your sin. Now to the lost, the gospel is what? Foolishness. Right? Foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God remember Psalms 147 that's one of the things that the psalmist proclaimed was the power of God to the lost that's foolish I don't know how many times I've witnessed to people giving them the very plain simple gospel that it's a gift of grace and they tell me no there's got to be more I had a man tell me, no, it doesn't make any sense. There's got to be more. There's got to be something more I have to do. So to the lost, this, is, this, is, this just doesn't make any sense. It does not compute, Will Robinson. I'm dating myself, aren't I? Yes, you are. <laughs> but it doesn't compute to the lost. But yet this is how a man or a woman or a boy or girl is saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Romans 1.16 Now, we are on the other side. We have received that gospel. We believe that gospel. So for us, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It makes perfect sense. God's gospel. And the reason why for this simplicity is simple. 1 Corinthians 2.5 That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, if it stood in the wisdom of men, then you would be trusting in your good works, or you'd be trusting in your religion, or you'd be trusting in what Paul, you know, listed, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, so forth and so on. See, that's the wisdom of men, but our salvation is based in the power of God. Our faith is based in the power of God and that salvation of our souls from hell. And I say all this because the principle of faith not only applies to your salvation from sin, but it applies for the rest of your life. It applies for the rest of your life. So many of God's people seem to stop with their salvation as far as faith is concerned. Yeah, God's powerful enough to save my soul, but he's not powerful enough to see me through whatever I'm going through. There's a disconnect. There shouldn't be a disconnect. Philippians 2, 12-13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my pre- absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So yeah, we, we, we trust in the gospel for our salvation. Our soul is not going to hell. It's going to heaven be with the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Our faith continues on with the Lord as God works this salvation out in our life. The fancy term for that is sanctification. We grow up in the Lord. And a part of the process of growing up in the Lord is being put in the fire of affliction that purifies that faith in him see it's all a process and so the two primary goals that God's infinite understanding in our redemption 
that he's working toward well the first one and you guys are going to say duh can anybody tell me what the first goal would be just out of curiosity okay good God's glory. God's glory. The first and foremost first and foremost purpose of God's infinite wisdom, infinite understanding, infinite knowledge is his glory. God's glory. Galatians 1:4 Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world? according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 4.20 Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 1.17 Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I could, I could read countless, I, not really countless, but numerous verses that all speak of God's glory. Isaiah 48, 9 through uh, 11. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger. And for my praise will I refrain uh, for thee that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for mine own sake. Even for my own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted and I will not give my glory unto another? Everything that's going on is working toward God's glory. Even what's going on in your life. It's all working to God's glory. You know, long ago there was a creature that sought to rob God of his glory, wasn't there? In fact, he convinced a third of the angels to follow with him. To rob God of his glory. And ever since his fall, this creature has sought to rob from God his glory by thwarting God's will on earth. And we know that this creature will stoop to anything. Anything to keep God from being glorified by lost men and by you and me. He will stoop to nothing if he can keep you from glorifying God. He'll bring his his goal in, in your afflictions is to draw you away from God to get you to think God doesn't know what he's doing or God is not worthy of my trust. What has he just done there? He just robbed God of the glory in your life. That's his aim. That's his purpose. But all glory will go to God. Is that not true? All glory will go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not true? Okay, you don't look convinced. 
So I'll read a scripture verse. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible informs us that our Lord, our King, our Savior will be glorified. In fact, the Bible tells us and teaches us that all nations of the earth will one day go to Jerusalem and do that very thing. Revelations 21-22 says, And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut all at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you believe that's going to happen? I hope you do. Because you know why? We're going to be there. If you're written in the Lamb's book of life, you're going to be there and you're going to see it with your own oddballs. Eyeballs. You are. We're going to witness it firsthand. We're going to watch these nations come to Jerusalem with their gifts to glorify the Lord. That gives me goosebumps. That's our future. Promise to us. Promise to us. Okay, Jeff, well that's then. We're talking about today. We're talking about now. We're talking about now. What about now? Psalms 50 verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now, we tend to focus on the deliverance part, don't we? Yeah, we want our fat pulled out of the fire. That's what we focus on. We want God to get us out of our mess, our trouble, our danger. But do we ever give any thought to giving God glory while in the midst of that mess? Be honest. Think about it. Think about it. Do we seek to glorify God even though we are in the midst of our trouble? Do we seek to glorify God as we wait on Him to deliver us? While we're in the midst of our pain, confusion, and grief. It's not easy. It's not easy when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills to glorify God. 
It's not easy when you've got a wayward son or daughter dealing you fits to glorify God. It's not easy if you're living with a spouse that isn't reciprocating your love to glorify God. It's not easy. So uh, Isaiah 24:15 says, "Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires." Ouch. What was that? Isaiah 24:15. Glorify ye the Lord in the fires. What is the purpose of the fires? To refine. Yeah, you remember the story of the uh, refiner, the smelter? <coughs> As he turned up the heat on that ore to remove the dross, you remember what he was looking for in that refined metal? His reflection. To see himself in that precious metal. That's how we glorified the Lord. That's how we glorified the Lord. This is, this is not what our enemy desires. This is not what our enemy desi- desires. He wants you to not glorify God in the midst of your refining process. He wants you to blame God. He wants you to question God. He wants you to doubt God. You see, that should be a red flag to you. When those thoughts start coming into your head. That's not coming from God. That's not coming from the Lord. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. You see, the enemy wants to use those adverse circumstances to draw us away from the Lord, but the Lord is using, is, is, is using those circumstances because his understanding is infinite to conform us into the image of his son. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, woe is you. Is that what it says? What's it say? There you go. Happy are ye. What? Has anybody in here been reproached for Christ's sake? Had I, one time I was standing at a, at a, at a line to uh, punch the clock as we were getting ready to go home. And I don't remember what it was. And there was about 15 of these guys. These were, these were all mechanics, pretty rough guys. And uh, I was witnessing, talking about Jesus. And I had... I had all these guys getting on my case. I mean, they were really getting on my case. And I started feeling like, you know, I started shrinking inside. That wasn't a pleasant experience. But yet he says here, happy are ye. I mean, who enjoys being reproached or ridiculed or canceled by others or what's the word, ghosted? I have no idea what that means. That means like stop talking with no explanation. Okay. Okay. Does anybody enjoy that? I mean, do you get a thrill out of that? 
You do? Oh boy. Okay. Whatever floats your boat. But yet the Bible says, happy are ye. The word happy is also translated as blessed. Blessed are you. Why? Why is that? Well, look here in 1 Peter 4.14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. We can give God glory when we are being reproached. See, that's a hard attitude. That's an issue of the heart. We can, we can glorify God when we are being reproached and ridiculed and ghosted or whatever. We can. Remember what Jesus said back in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5.10? He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hey, that's proof. That's proof that you're part of the kingdom. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. That's key. For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why, Jesus, why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You're in good company. They persecuted Jesus. What makes you exempt? You're in good company. So when we glorify, when we are going through these times, we actually glorify God because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know, light shines brightest when it's darkest. And isn't that what Jesus said that we are to be? Don't hide that light under a bushel, right? We're a city set on a hill. <laughs> but there's a caveat about this. Um, verse 15, 1 Peter 4. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Now, I don't know if there's any murderers in here. I'm pretty sure there's a few thieves and evildoers and a busybody. Well, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be that. When we misbehave, we're not giving God glory. We're not giving God glory. Verse 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. What is a Christian? The world's got all sorts of ideas and definitions of what a Christian is. But what is a Christian? That's someone who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and follows him. Right? A disciple. What is it? It used to be a, a it was a, a derogatory term that meant little Christ. I'm good with that. <laughs> if somebody thinks I'm a little Christ, hey, I'm totally good with that. I'm totally good with that. 
Testament. Persecution, that's just that's just part of the that's just part of the package. Part of the package. And the persecution that can occur on our at the workplace, the neighborhood, unfortunately, even in one's own household. But he says, "Happy are you if you are identifying with Jesus Christ and you're getting a business for it? Rejoice, because you're giving God the glory. That means His light is shining. It means that His reflection is seen." in that refining rejoice rejoice and really that's what it's all about isn't it I'm not talking about the persecution part but what I'm talking about is the it's the glory given to God it's the glory given to God Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. It belongs to him. So why not use it to glorify him? Is that an agreement or a disagreement? Okay. And that's that's the attitude we have to maintain. God's glory. Seeking God's glory. Seeking to glorify God in the in the midst of our troubles. Seeking to glorify God in the in our circumstances. Seeking to glorify God in our trials. First Peter two twelve says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, when we settle in our hearts to give God the preeminence in our life, even in the midst of our troubles, our circumstances, when we glorify God before others, then we, we bring glory to God. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to exalt men or women, but you'll know who I'm talking about. We've got, we had and have men and women in this church right now. Some have passed away. That have gone through some very difficult days. And I know, I know that they've had their moments. I know this. But the one thing that comes up <coughs> is that these individuals have taken their adversity and instead of allowing it to beat them and defeat them, they have turned it around to God's glory. And they've used those that adversity in their life to comfort and encourage and edify others. That's how you give glory to God. That's how you give glory to God. There was uh, an individual who recently passed away. Whenever he heard of a 
member of our church who was afflicted with what he was afflicted and I've heard this from several individuals he would call them and encourage them and bolster their faith in God that's glorifying God that's glorifying God that's the hard attitude that we need to seek in the midst of our situations when we begin to question God does God know best instead of asking God what are you doing how about God how can I glorify you in this matter how can I give praise to you in this matter how can I encourage others to glorify you in this matter see it's a whole different perspective on this thing isn't it this thing that we struggle with 2 Corinthians 4.16 says for which cause we faint not but though our outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction which is but for a moment everything is temporary guys everything is everything is temporary for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory this is one of the things that makes God so amazing when we glorify God he in turn shares and I know he said I'll share my glory with no one but he in turn shares his glory with us that's an incredible God eternal eternal weight of glory don't have time to get into the second point but let me leave you with this let me leave you with this when we get to the place in our situation our circumstance and we're wondering does God really know best remember one of the things that God is working out in his infinite wisdom is his glory and so we need to get on board with that because if we if we approach it with this in mind then this you may find the answer to or at least be a part of it does that make sense when we seek to glorify God in all that we do whether we eat or drink you know the verse even in the midst of our circumstances this helps with this it really does it really does because like it says here in the verse everything is temporary everything everything is temporary we have a very bright future 
And wouldn't it be great to go into that bright future glorifying God? I don't know. That's something you have to answer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the comfort that we receive of it, Lord God. And it's also good to know that everything that we're experiencing on this planet, good and bad, is all temporary. And we know that, Father, we have a glorious future ahead of us. But what makes that glorious future so glorious is because you are there. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that we would seek to glorify you in both the good times and in the bad times, in the dark times and in the bright times. May we always, always seek your glory in these things. For we know that in these things you would be well-pleasing. Thank you and praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who comforts us, strengthens us, who is indeed our hope and our glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.